Did you see what President Trump tweeted this morning? I, I criticize the media for just reacting constantly to Trump's tweets and all these things. I think it's ridiculous. There's more important things. But this tweet, to me, is kind of beyond the pale. Um, it is so vicious, so horrendous, so racist, so bigoted, and frankly, it is the makings of fascism, what he tweeted this morning. So I, I believe uh, we have to start with this, and I'm going to tie it into some other things I want to talk about. The president, which, by the way, uh, reports now show the ICE raids, the ICE raids have begun. Uh, he, his campaign was going to be starting ICE raids, well, not starting, but uh, ratcheting it up and increasing the ICE raids. Uh, this Sunday, apparently reports are showing that ICE raids uh, with them rounding up undocumented immigrants have begun today uh, already, and it's noon Eastern time. So President Trump tweeted this morning, so interesting to see progressive Democratic congresswomen who originally came from countries whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe, the worst, the most corrupt and inept anywhere in the world, if they even have a functioning government at all, now loudly and viciously telling people, the people of the United States, the greatest and most powerful nation on earth, how our government is to be run. Why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime infested places from which they came, then come back and show us how. It is done. These places need your help badly. You can't leave fast enough. I'm sure that Nancy Pelosi would be very happy to quickly work out free travel arrangements. I wanted to read this tweet because the only thing you could really say is this is um, this is this is just beyond uh, Islamophobic. By the way, he's he's subtly talking about Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, uh, the three others: Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. Were all born in the United States. Ilhan Omar was born uh, in Somalia, Somalia. So basically. President Trump, when you see President Trump subtly defending Nancy Pelosi, which shows you even more why Nancy Pelosi needs to be defeated. That's why I had to get an interview with her primary challenger, Shahid Buttar, which we're going to air in a little bit. Uh, he is a really, really great constitutional attorney, a uh, community organizer, uh, Muslim uh, from San Francisco. He is primarying uh, Nancy Pelosi. You don't see any coverage of him in the mainstream media. So this is our second interview with him. So the reason I show this tweet, I mean, I don't need to tell you that this is disgusting. There's not enough. There's not a lot of analysts, a, a, analysis required. He is basically, he already tried to paint Ilhan Omar as basically one with the terrorists. If you notice that tweet from a few months ago, uh, weeks ago, where he put up a tweet of a de very deceptively edited video with Ilhan Omar superimposed over the 9-11 towers uh, falling down. So he's already... He's already basically called her a terrorist without saying it. And now he's, these are subtle, jingoistic, bigoted, Islamophobic, and racist comments. Why don't you just go back to your hole, Ilhan Omar? You're not American. You're not American like me and like my supporters. You're just another raghead. This is essentially, this is essentially what Donald Trump is trying to say. And Donald Trump, you could say a lot of things about him. He actually isn't stupid. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows that he, he knows exactly what he is inferring. 
by saying, why don't you go back to your country if it even has a functioning government? Then come back and show us how it's done. These places need your help badly. You can't leave fast enough. And why I felt the need to show you these tweets, again, there's not much, there's not much for me to say. It's vile. It's disgusting. Obviously, it's not becoming of the president of the United States. It's not becoming of anybody. Um, it's also wildly inaccurate. Most of these countries, Ilhan Omar, by the way, is from Somalia. The other three are from America. They were born here. Uh, most of these countries around the world are uh, not, com not, not completely, but a large reason for the incessant poverty, the water shortages, um, the air pollution, the uh, people uh, with high, uh, high mortality rates, illness, lack of education. It's because the United States is an imperial force that has destroyed many of these countries in Africa, in Central America, in South America. Ugh. I mean, you name it, the United States has been there. And a great documentary, I told Jen about it the other day, that you should watch, that I just watched. It's on Amazon Prime, so you have to stomach Amazon. Uh, it's called Standing Army. And it's, it's, it's called Standing Army, and it basically shows how, on paper, we have over 700 uh, military bases around the world. It's really over 1,000. But we are basically occupying other countries polluting them, just, uh, killing people, uh, creating illnesses. So a lot of the, you know, Trump, Trump knows a lot of this, but he doesn't want to acknowledge it. So he just says, oh, you know, these shithole countries and this, that, and the other thing. Why don't you go back? And when President Trump is suddenly like, he put out a tweet defending, defending Nancy Pelosi this week, you got to wonder why is President Trump defending Nancy. Maybe it's because Nancy Pelosi is a Republican too. And President Trump, he understands because he played on and he abused and he leveraged the Tea Party. It's not a coincidence that President Trump started this birther stuff in 2011. That was the rise of the Tea Party movement, 2010, 2011. Okay, look at recent history. President Trump understands the pulse of the country. He could see when the anger, the hopelessness, the desperation is real. And he sees that on the progressive side. So he is now trying to join Pelosi in stomping out this progressive uprising that you're seeing in Congress. I don't, I don't love Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on all things. Same could be said for those others. But I do like that they are poking the bear. They are challenging the corporate progressive democratic establishment. Frankly, I think Bernie Sanders has to do it a lot louder. So the reason I bring this up is I am seeing it on the road. Jen is seeing it on the road. Marcus is seeing it on the road. Ty is seeing it on the road. Donald Trump, forget the polls for a second, because the polls showed Donald Trump was going to lose in 2016. The polls showed Donald Trump had no chance to even win the Republican nomination. Polls don't mean everything. There's a lot of people that don't answer polls when they call. There's a lot of people that answer dishonestly. Uh, in, in the Trump case, a lot of Trump supporters didn't answer that they were supporting Trump because there was that, you know, shame or embarrassment. So the polls could say one thing. Jen could tell you because she has reported now and interviewed Trump supporters. She's got the, the PTSD to, to show it. I, can sh I have shown it. I have done it. And so have Marcus and Ty. Trump's base is ever strong. Trump's base is ready to come out to the polls. 
Trump's base has not shrunk. And Trump's base is mostly uh, rabid, mostly, frankly, uneducated. And there are a lot of people in there that are in uh, supporting Trump because of exactly the kind of racist, bigoted talk that I just showed you via tweet. Now, I don't think racism is why Donald Trump won. I think it's part of it, but there were many reasons Donald Trump won. The states he won in the Midwest, I do not think it was racism that propelled people predominantly to vote for Trump. Obviously, there's subconscious racism. Obviously, there's conscious racism. Obviously, a lot of these people were buying into the other that Donald Trump sold them. And that other that Donald Trump sold them is the Mexicans, the Muslims. They're stealing your jobs. They're changing this country. They're the problem. Not the corporations writing the trade deals. Not the politicians selling you down the river since the 1970s. It's not the government, even though he pretended to be an anti-establishment warrior. It's the other. It's the Mexicans, the Muslims. And that's why he keeps rounding up these people in cages. That's why, uh, you know, he keeps talking about, uh, oh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a candidate of law and order. Yeah, he's a candidate of law and order when it will win him uh, political points. Not, you know, when it comes to his businesses, money laundering, possibly sexually assaulting women. That's the crazy thing about our media. A woman just came out a few weeks ago with a credible rape accusation against the president of the United States. It was covered for a few days. Gone. Can you imagine if that was Barack Obama? Can you imagine if that was George W. Bush, Bill Clinton? But in President Trump's case, gone like the wind. He now has 16 women that have accused him of assault, harassment, rape. Before uh, I get to what I think is wrong, I want to, as a reminder, show you this clip from the Democratic debate in Brooklyn, New York in 2016. Here we go. Name one decision that she made as, as senator that shows that she favored banks because of the money she received. Sure. Sure. The obvious decision is when the greed and recklessness and illegal behavior of Wall Street brought this country into the worst economic downturn since the Great Recession, the Great Depression of the 30s, when millions of people lost their jobs and their homes and their life savings. The obvious response to that is that you got a bunch of fraudulent operators and that they have got to be broken up. That was my view way back, and I introduced legislation to do that. Now, Secretary Clinton was busy giving speeches to Goldman Sachs for $225,000 a speech. So the proper response, the proper response in my view is we should break them up. And that's what my legislation does. Well, as you can tell, Dana, he cannot, he cannot come up with any example because there is no example. And it is, it is important. It is important. It's always important. It may be inconvenient, but it's always important to get the facts straight. I stood up against the behaviors of the banks when I was a senator. I called them out on their mortgage behavior. I also was very willing to speak out against some of the special privileges they had under the tax code. So that was Bernie Sanders in 2016. I was there. And a little behind the scenes, a little behind the scenes if you've never heard uh, what happened. So during presidential debates, just so you 
kind of know what happens among the campaigns. Reporters, it's just like rapid fire. So during the debates, you got Hillary Clinton makes a point on, you know, the environment. Their campaign sends out an email to reporters, uh, you know, why Bernie Sanders uh, is bad or wrong or flip-flopped on the environment. So they're usually sending out, uh, based on what the candidate says on particular issues, they're usually sending out emails rapid fire uh, and attacking the other candidate. So when Bernie Sanders was asked that question, Bernie Sanders' campaign started blasting out the bankruptcy bill. How uh, Hillary Clinton, when she was first lady Clinton, uh, wife of Bill Clinton when he was president, was against the bankruptcy bill in part because of things uh, at the time she wasn't a senator, Elizabeth Warren had told First Lady Clinton. But then when she ran for New York Senate in 2000, she got a flood, a flood, she was flooded with Wall Street cash. Then as Senator Clinton, oh, she was for that bankruptcy bill, which by the way, at the time, Senator Joe Biden pushed that bankruptcy bill because he, some of his biggest campaign donors in the state of Delaware were credit card companies. That's Joe Biden. So the point is, during that, when Bernie Sanders was asked, can you name one policy, his campaign had prepared him to talk about the bankruptcy bill because they bombed it out via email. Bernie Sanders chose not to go on the offense against Hillary Clinton. You might have liked what he had to say that, oh, you know, well, while I was calling to break out the big banks, you were, uh, you know, having private speeches to Wall Street. He chose not to specifically go after her on a specific policy that she flip-flopped on because of her donations. By the way, the bankruptcy bill is just one. If you look close enough, she's flip-flopped on many, many different uh, votes and policies based on who her donors are. And this has been a continuing theme with Bernie Sanders, where his advisors, both in 2016 and 2020, tell him, Bernie, you have to take off the gloves. Yes, your, your message is right. Yes, you have, you are right on the policies. But politics, unfortunately, people don't just vote on policy. They also vote on, are you a fighter? They also vote on, are you, are you showing that the other candidates are fraudulent? And you are not going to win the Democratic Party nomination. I'm looking right in your eyes. He's not going to win the Democratic Party nomination if he doesn't start going to war now with the other candidates and the Democratic corporate establishment. Because that's what not only his base wants, but that is the way you are going to sway other candidates. So what I said, and I'll say it again for those of you that disagree, I don't think it's time to press the panic button. I don't think he's lost. I don't think Warren is going, you know, automatically going to beat him. I don't exactly, you know, polls come and go. But I see him making the same exact mistakes that he made in 2016. And if you read a New York Times story, uh, and I'm going to show you some of it, he's, he's blowing off advice from his campaign because whether you want, call it whatever you want, because he's stubborn, because he's, uh, you know, resistant to change. But this advice is coming from people that see what I'm seeing. And that is, you cannot, you're not going to win the nomination if you don't start calling out the other candidates, if you don't start fighting. And his responses, his interviews, his debate performance is not that. I'll read this to you for the New York Times. When Bernie Sanders brought his presidential campaign to Pittsburgh early this year, he quietly added a poignant stop to his schedule. 
a visit to the Tree of Life synagogue where 11 congregants were killed in an anti-Semitic shooting last fall. But his appearance also came with explicit instructions to his campaign ads. According to two Democratic Democrats familiar with the conversation, they were not to tell the news media about his conversation with the rabbi there. Some aides dissented, believing there was a graceful way to disclose the visit. But Bernie Sanders, the only Jewish candidate among the leading Democratic contenders, did not want to visit, did not want the visit to be perceived as a publicity grab. His impulse illustrated a deeper challenge confronting his aides and supporters. After nearly four decades of running and usually winning icon, icon, iconoclastic campaigns on his own terms, he is deeply reluctant to change his approach. Mr. Sanders has been unwilling to regularly talk about his personal history of growing up poor in a Brooklyn neighborhood full of Holocaust survivors, and until recently he resisted letting his campaign poll voters in Iowa, the first nominating state. He has largely defied his staff's urging that he go on the offense against Joe Biden, the Democratic frontrunner. So a few things here, a few things here. I am not telling, I am not suggesting that Bernie Sanders change his message. No, I think the bottom line is his consistency is what makes him Bernie Sanders and he should not change that. But I am talking about you need to tweak your tactics. So first of all, do you think do you think, and God forbid, we don't want this, do you think if there was another shooting at a black church that Kamala Harris would not be at that black church the next day? Do you think? you think if there was another shooting at a black church that Kamala Harris would not make it the flagship part of her campaign, whether she meant it or not? Bernie Sanders is Jewish. Bernie Sanders was born in Brooklyn. I understand, Bernie, that you don't like talking about yourself and, you know, make it, you know, getting personal and looking like you're getting political points. You're in Pittsburgh. There was just a mass shooting at a synagogue that killed 11 people. It's, it was one of the biggest cases of anti-Semitism uh, in, in recent years. Why are you making it a secret to go to this temple? The only person thinking that it would look like a publicity stunt is you. You should embrace your personal story. I don't understand. Like, I understand that Bernie, San Bernie Sanders has an idea that you just win on the issues in American politics. I'm here to burst your bubble, Bernie. Yes, young people in particular are voting more and more based on the issues and policies. But in totality, people vote based on who they identify with. People vote based on who they think is speaking to them. People vote based on who they think has their back. People can't connect with you if they don't know who you are. And who you are goes beyond the policies that you're proposing. Who you are goes, on, goes, goes based on how you were raised. What was the adversity you faced? What is your identity? Not, not just religion or race, but who are you? That's what people go to. That is one of the, largest, the biggest reasons people gravitated to Obama in 2008. I'm not saying it's right. I truly believe. I truly believe we should be voting more on policy. And I agree with Jeff Weaver, uh, the senior advisor to his campaign. If people want a fluffy, lovey-dovey person to vote for, it's not Bernie Sanders. If people want somebody who's going to fight for Medicare for all, fight for free public college, fight for the things that matter, it is Bernie Sanders. But you could have both. He should He should have went to that temple. He should have publicized it. He should not hide who he is. Secondly, I know this for a fact in 2016 because I talked to advisors in his campaign in 2016. 
I know for a fact in 2020, Bernie Sanders is ignoring the advice of his advisors. I'm not going to talk about who, but I heard from two people in his campaign. I heard from two people in his campaign when I went down to Miami. Be prepared. He's finally going to take off the gloves. If you watch that debate and some of you think he did a great job and it was fine that he didn't take off the gloves. I was told going in that he, they were preparing him and he was going to be more aggressive specifically towards Biden. If you watch that debate, that's not what he did. That is not who that is not what he did. So, and the proof is in the pudding. Again, I'm not saying press the panic button. I don't think he's in jeopardy of losing the campaign in July. I think there's a lot of campaign to go. There's a lot that could happen. I think Warren is rising, but I think also um, a, a good debate performance by Bernie could neutralize that. I think Pete Buttigieg is fading, and I think Biden uh, will be fading, but it depends on what Bernie is going to do. Bernie can't go to debates and basically wait an hour and 45 minutes, which is exactly how long you waited, to say anything negative about Joe Biden. He waited an hour and 45 minutes, and he mentioned, oh, you voted for the Iraq war. That's too late. And the proof is in the numbers. Since Bernie Sanders was not aggressive, since he did not call out Joe Biden on the things he told Wall Street, on the fact that he is hoarding money left and right from Wall Street this year, the bankruptcy bill, Iraq war, the Patriot Act, the crime bill, uh, uh, welfare reform, deregulating derivatives, repealing Glass-Steagall. You could spend two hours just going, just attacking Joe Biden on his record. Frankly, in a more gentle way, because he will be attacked for going after a black woman, he should also be calling out Senator Kamala Harris, who is hoarding money from Wall Street while pretending to be for the people. This is why I brought up Trump in the beginning. Trump won in 2016. Yes, he was totally full of shit. Trump won because he called out the puppets that he was running against. And as a result, he looked like he was an everyman. He was the outsider. Bernie Sanders is not doing that. He's not. He is not calling out by name the, the challengers. This is the closest thing. This is the closest thing to it. Let me find this. Uh, Bernie Sanders put this out earlier this week. At a time when Donald Trump and the health insurance industry are lying every day about Medicare for all, I would hope that my fellow Democrats would not resort to misinformation about my legislation. Bernie, who are the fellow Democrats you're talking about? Does the person have a name? His name is Joe Biden. Joe Biden sent out a tweet this week, viciously lying about Medicare for all, saying that, oh, we don't, have, we, we, we can't take the risk of, of Medicare for all. You know, if we move to a Medicare for, for all system, people are going to die without health care in the transition. When the, the Medicare for All plan that Bernie Sanders has proposed is a transition of four years. So Bernie Sanders, it's, 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 it's a start. It's a better start. But he, he, he's not even calling out Joe Biden by name. Bernie, what are you waiting for? Wh who, are you, who, who are you trying to appease? It's not negative campaigning to call out another candidate's lies. It's not negative campaigning to call out another candidate's donors. And some of you might say, Jordan, it was just one debate. Well, if you look at the poll numbers, you only have one chance at a first impression. That was Kamala Harris's first impression. And she went from low single digits in the polls to now, in some polls, number two. Okay? So by Bernie Sanders standing there idly and letting Kamala Harris have her moment, and let's not forget Elizabeth Warren the night before, who was, who did win that first debate, Bernie Sanders has allowed other people to be elevated. So you might say, 
It was one debate, give him another debate, give him till the next debate. But now we have a four-year track record. He didn't challenge Hillary Clinton really by, you know, aggressively at all in 2016. And we've now seen in the first debate of the 26, 2020 debate, he refuses to do it again. So at a certain point, you have to, you have to say, well, there's a, there's a pattern here. There's a pattern here. I mean, let's look at this clip from Meet the Press this morning. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who was a volunteer in your campaign, she was very upset with Nancy Pelosi, and she said, when these comments first started, I kind of thought that she was keeping the progressive flank at more of an arm's distance in order to protect more moderate members, which I understood. But the persistent singling out, it got to a point where it was just outright disrespectful, the explicit singling out of newly elected women of color. Is this part of this bigger disruption that you helped lead four years ago, where the party is just having growing pains, or what do you make of this dispute? Well, Chuck, this is what I think. I think it goes without saying that the future of our country and the future of the Democratic Party rests with young people. And I'm very proud, by the way, in virtually every poll that I have seen, we are winning people under 45 or 50 years of age and younger. You do well if younger uh, voters out. in our poll as well. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, and what Alexandria uh, and other young women and women of color are saying, we have got to reach out to young people. We've got to hear the pain of the working class of this country. And that is causing some political disruption within the leadership of the Democratic Party. And let me give you one example where I am very concerned. I have helped lead the effort to expand community health centers yeah. in this country. And right now there's legislation in the House, the Democratic House, to cut in real inflation account for dollars community health centers by 20%. Unacceptable. So I, ex I support you know, Alexandria's and the other women's desire to bring more people, especially young people, working class people, into the Democratic Party. That is the future of the Democratic Party. Do you think Party the speaker's being country. too tough on them? I think a little bit. I, I think you've got to, you cannot ignore the young people of this country who are yeah. passionate about economic and racial and social and environmental justice. you got to bring them in, not alienate them. Um. Yeah, I, I don't know what to tell you. If, if some of you think I'm being too critical, I'm sorry, but I can't just be a fanatic fanboy. A, a little? You think just a little? And you might think, Jordan, you're, you know, you're, you're picking, this is semantics, you say tomato, I say tomato, and uh, yeah, he could be a little bit more aggressive, but that's not who he is. But that's the problem. Who he is, is 100% right on the issues. There's very few issues that I disagree with Bernie Sanders on. But that's not always, that's not exclusively what's going to win you a nomination. People have to see that you are fighting not just against Trump, but the forces in the Democratic Party. So when Nancy Pelosi is basically declaring war on four um, young freshmen and yes, women of color progressives in the, in the campaign, you should be going on offense to defend them. You should be going on offense because the main complaint of these four progressives in this case, and Jen has a report for you that we're going to air in a little bit on this whole battle between Pelosi and the Ocasio-Cortez wing, is that Nancy Pelosi is funding and giving funding to Donald Trump's bigoted uh, immigration policy. So, you know, you could say, oh, well, that, you know, he, so he didn't bowl him over the head. People in the Democratic Party, Democratic Party voters want to see a fighter. 
And that is what worked for Trump in 2016, among many voters, by the way, that had previously voted for Democrats, among many voters that told me when I was on the road that they would vote for Bernie, if not Donald Trump. So Bernie should be calling out Biden by name, not just during the debates, but before. Bernie should be calling out Harris by name. Most voters do not know that Kamala Harris is doing fundraisers with Wells Fargo. Most, uh, most voters do not know that Kamala Harris could have prosecuted Steve Mnuchin as Attorney General of California and chose not to. Most voters do not know about Kamala Harris's very, very suspect, dare I say, not progressive at all, record as Attorney General. Most, most voters do not know every single vote that Joe Biden had in the Senate. And if Bernie Sanders, and it, uh, I don't think his campaign feels this way, but if Bernie Sanders is waiting for CNN to report this information to the American people, uh, he's got another thing coming.